You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Good evening. Uh, will you join us on your favorite uh, legal show, uh, Legal Talk? And Alhamdulillah, this evening, once again, joined by someone uh, that uh, we have become very familiar with on this uh, platform, Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahlul Sunnah Wal Jama'ah. This evening, we joined by Attorney Hafiz Muhammad Kuvandia. And uh, let me welcome you and uh, the pious and sagacious Ummah with a hearty, hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Fine, beautiful evening, uh, Hafiz Attorney Muhammad Kubania. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It really is a beautiful evening, and jazakallah once again to yourself and to your listeners for allowing me into their homes this evening. And inshallah, for the next hour, we'll be able to learn a few things and just maybe continue with our regular discussions, legal and the CIA as well. You know, uh, absolutely, uh, you know, Tony Saba, when you look at uh, the things that's going around, uh, one thing that really touched me, you know, we can't uh, continue the program without talking about what's going on in Gaza and how the world, uh, you know, the thinking has uh, shifted and it, everything is becoming more clear. But what was really heartening is, you know, even uh, non-Muslim uh, lawyers are getting together uh, to bring up uh, you know, a pressure on the uh, Zionist state of Israel and, you know, wanting uh, this Netanyahu character to be put behind bars. Uh, your thoughts are behind that, uh, Mohammed? Gee, I, I think, you know, we are fortunate in that we have our government at a different level because the voices of the masses are one thing. It only reaches at a particular level. When the politicians talk, it echoes and reverberates within the political corridors. So alhamdulillah, we have some members, senior members of our government, and even from the opposing camp, let's be honest about it, what the EFF did so far is something to be admired, something to be proud of. of. As Muslims, they too are seeing the atrocities, they are seeing the crimes, and they are seeing the criminals behind the crimes. So we have that on the one hand. On the other hand, we have our president. And of course, very vocal about this whole episode. From the start has been our own minister, um, Nadia Naledi Pando, alhamdulillah, who's also, you know, uh, made it very, uh, it's made her resounding message to the world cannot and will not be ignored and will no, never be forgotten because she has had the guts to stand up knowing that whilst South Africa in the past had excellent diplomatic relationships with Israel's and uh, that uh, they have, we have a large contingency of Jews in this country who even hold dual citizenships. So one of the first things that they've done is that they're making it a crime for a South African citizen to fight on behalf of IDF. These people who have dual citizenships have a high loyalty towards the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force. And they have been now called upon to now come and act and could take part in these atrocities. So the South African government has made it a crime. And yes, we are very proud. At least, you know, the government is able to share our sentiment. The government is one of those few governments in the world that's taken it upon themselves to make it a worldwide issue and to make it known to other countries that this is our position. There's even been a call, today I came across, to close the 
Israeli embassy in South Africa. So many things are happening. Many uh, fights are taking place simultaneously. I just just a few minutes ago, I, I seen a, a post about who was going to stop the uh, the, 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 the keeping or uh, storing the Israeli products. And Alhamdulillah, that in itself is something for us to be proud of about. Yes, when corporate begins to see the wrong, when we as a country are able to put pressure on these corporates, on this government, and our pressure then reverberates so that they can take the necessary stand, we say, Alhamdulillah, we're living in a country that we are able to do this. How many other countries where the people are marching, protesting, boycotting, and the government is opposing them? In fact, so much so, they're taking their taxpayers' money to fight the war on behalf of the Israelis. What a hypocrisy, isn't that? That they make you pay the taxes, and then they take the same money, and they use it in the blood against your own brother. They go in there, and they're murdering our brothers in another part of the world. So in other words, your funds and your finances. So, you know, I think that we are fortunate. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us this opportunity to be in a country where our voices are being heard, where the politicians' voices are being heard, and things are being done. And you never know what the consequences of these actions are. You know, Muhammad, a very, uh, you know, concise and precise there. And as you look at this country, uh, we should be proud of uh, this government. And, you know, we're getting our parliamentarians making the right noise. And as you talk, spoke about Navia Pando, and I mean, she made the right noise at the African Union where she discovered that, you know, the Israeli or the Israelis be, uh, were given uh, the... Uh, uh, what what status he calls that ob ob observer status, and she got up and she went to canvas there and tell the you know no this is not right, and she was amazed that Africa actually sold out, but she managed to get rid of uh, the observer status somehow with a wheeling and dealing, but uh, Africa had been captured by these people, and this is when people like yourselves uh, you know come in uh, to the fore when you look at you know you're doing dawa uh, recently you were in Bella Bella your feeding scheme you're talking to the Afrikaners, uh, you know, you're doing Dawa at a level where they've been captured by uh, the Zionist propaganda, where even Netanyahu has been quoting Bible or biblical verses, telling uh, the uh, Christian or the pro-Zionist Christian churches that you biblically and from quoting, uh, you know, Paulinity. You know, we know that Paul captured the Bible and what he did with it uh, and telling them you have to pray for Israel, you have to, you know, side with us against uh, these other people and Palestine rightfully belongs to us. And, you know, your dawah has gone to another level. Now you're fighting it at a, or look at it, at a political level also. Uh, you know, how Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu in his totality was a politician, was a father, was a, you know, leader of the country, uh, of, of the ummah, and so forth, you know, jurisprudence and everything came into the fore. Talk to me about that scenario, uh, Muhammad, and uh, just listening a little to what you have uh, said now. Uh, you're the ideal candidate to do both dawa, politics, business, and a little bit of this and that, uh, Muhammad. Gee, so alhamdulillah, I think that um, through our dawa, we are man managing to reach out to various communities in the country. Sometimes we go out in, and we meet the white people, the Afrikaner people. We share their sentiments because a lot of them are also struggling in terms of their own finances, in terms of their own lifestyles, and uh, in terms of unemployment in this country, it's across the board, and we're seeing the same thing 
in the townships where people are also struggling. So the country, as much as, you know, we have a bit of fanfare now what's happening, we also know there's an underlying issue of poverty, underlying issue of godlessness, underlying issue of, for example, drunkenness. And, you know, there's, there's, there's major issues we have, the killing spree, the crime spree in the country. These are all negative factors, and we don't forget that at the same time. So when we do reach out, of course, we use the opportunity of Islam because Islam is always the saving grace. Islam always has the answers to the social issues, the political issues, the economic issues. In so many ways, we need to know our religion better so that we're able to then share some of this. I don't know if you've been watching some of the social media posts that talk about how many Christians are actually accepting Islam. Because even in 911, the same thing happened. People became aware of Islam at different levels. So many non-Muslims are beginning to stand up and say, but the governments of the world are deceiving us. They have been deceiving us for many years. We really thought that the oppressors or the victims were the Israelis. And uh, now we're beginning to understand the real dilemma in the politics behind this whole game. It's just once again oppression on top of oppression. It's colonialism in 2023. Yes, this is the reality. So Christians are speaking up. Christians are buying the Quran. Christians are taking an interest in what Islam has to offer. And we've also seen many Christians also on social media accept Islam. So Alhamdulillah, Allah uses these opportunities for us to continue the da'wah, for people to say, please tell me what is happening in Palestine. Why are they referred, why are the Palestinians referred to as terrorists? So we then use this opportunity. So understanding the politics, understanding what has happened over the last 70 years in that part of the world allows us to do da'wah. And you know, Shaykh Ahmad did that also many, many years ago, taught us many valuable lessons. And he's reached out to the Christians, even reached out to the Jews. And he spoke to them on a level that we could use today in our da'wah. So Alhamdulillah for that. And yes, there are the lawyers in this country who are taking it upon themselves to issue a warrant of arrest for Netanyahu and uh, we've done that in the past and we've managed to put political pressure at many levels at different levels alhamdulillah and I see there's a call once again for the politicians for the lawyers to be able to get together and continue on this because once again he's a war criminal and like how they were very quick to prosecute war criminals of Africa um, I think that somehow the Europeans and Israel has escaped the, 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 the long, so-called long arm of the European law. And it's about time that they become aware that this is unacceptable and intolerable. And as a result of which we, as Muslims in this country, want to set the right message to the people around the world. No, absolutely, uh, Muhammad. As you said, uh, we as the people in this country want to send the, the right message across uh, the globe, alhamdulillah. And also, you know, uh, uh, you, you get to know that uh, d- different types of uh, scenarios coming through, different types of country uh, behaving in different ways. But, uh, you know, let's uh, divert a little and look at uh, the scenario in Pakistan where we have, uh, you know, Imran Khan uh, being incarcerated and many say, uh, unjustly for over a hundred and few odd days. And it seems as if the judiciary in that country uh, is being captured and dictated to from countries outside. Uh, hopefully that is not the case in uh, the, the South African uh, scenario where we had uh, Justice uh, you know, Zondo having his commission 
but many called it a damn squib. Uh, the Pakistani uh, scenario, how do you read it? I mean, the, you know, we know the American influence uh, got rid of a uh, popular leader who was on the right track, uh, you know, empowering the youth, uh, youth of the country. How do you read into that, uh, Mohammed? So whilst Pakistan refers to itself as an Islamic republic, I'm actually concerned which country now today really has Islamic, is based on Islamic principles. I mean, all those Islamic, so-called Islamic countries, who has actually stood up today? What was that message that went the last time? We couldn't even get a glass of water into Gaza. That's what was the condition in the early part of the war. And now that trucks and, uh, uh, and, and, and containers are coming in, we realizing that it's not enough and that these people, that's only a drop in the ocean. So yes, which of these countries has the guts, especially like this, in, an, in a situation like this, where you know that the person in the other part of the world is your Muslim brother. And Islam teaches us that we need to be concerned about our Muslim brother in another part of the world. Just because we are not in that situation, it doesn't mean at the very least that we don't make dua for them. It doesn't mean at the very least that we cannot provide financial assistance to them. It does not mean that we shouldn't be concerned. So, Whilst, you know, the South Africans are minority in this country, we are sending a strong message. What about those countries that have 100 million Muslims in their midst? What about those countries that have 100% Muslims and are supposed to be Muslim governments? What is their obligation then? At what level they're supposed to have been, uh, 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 so it's supposed to, their message is supposed to change the condition of the Muslims in Gaza. Yet, how many have actually stood up? I'm confident that if it was Imran Khan who was acting as president today in Pakistan, that he would not have been silent as the politicians in Pakistan, that he would not have been silent as the other politicians in the so-called Muslim world. Imran Khan was somebody that I always admired from a young days, even in the days of sport, and to see the, the, how, how well a Pakistani was able to do uh, amidst all the challenges that he, he was faced with, it, it made us proud to know that there was a Muslim who had good principles. And that this manifested itself when he stood up for elections and he made his manifesto clear that I am basing my politics on Islamic principles and I want to return to the Quran and the Sunnah. We know Pakistan is a Muslim country, but we know at the same time there's a lot of corruption in Pakistan. Speak to the local Pakistanis that we you meet here and you're disgusted by what happens and how politically Pakistan has been manipulated by the rich and the politicians and the foreigners and the Americans and the Europeans. They used Pakistan as a springboard to, to massacre the Afghanistan. They went and they supplied them huge amounts of monies. They bribed them. They used and abused the opportunity of Pakistan and the, the people suffered at the end of the day. The Muslims around the world suffered and Afghanistan also suffered at the hands of the Pakistani politicians. So yes, once again, we need to tip our hat to a person like Imran Khan because I think that we need more politicians like him. It's unfortunate that he's incarcerated at this critical time when we do need the support of politicians, Muslim politicians around the world. 
Jazakallah, Muhammad, uh, for that. And also, you know, as you said, uh, uh, he's got uh, contingency plans in place. He's got a few of his uh, merwat and those lawyers and all doing a lot of uh, work, a lot of, I believe, wheeling and dealing being done by other parties. But uh, eventually, you know, truth prevails and uh, falsehood perishes as uh, we look forward uh, to our topic uh, this evening, reading the fine print. And uh, just the other day, a brother sent me a text message and he said, you know, Brother Shafat, um, I bought uh, this ticket from a travel agency and uh, due to unforeseen circumstances um, you know I couldn't get my family back from India so it's gone uh, 11 months now and the uh, agency sends me a uh, reminder on the WhatsApp that you have one more month uh, to use your ticket, otherwise you will forfeit it. But he says, uh, you know, this is what he told me. He said, hey, but Brushev, you know the Lani, man. Please talk to the Lani. Now I was thinking, you know, they, these are clauses, these are, you know, uh, the conditions, the fine print. And he said, you know what? I, unfortunately, I didn't read the fine print. So I knew the Lani. I sent him the message, and the Lani said, you look into it. So he's still looking into that. So, Mohammed, they're very important topic indeed. You know, many of our people get caught. Uh, you know, not knowing the, the legalities. And I'm wondering what will happen to this brother who asked me to talk to the Lani. <laughs> Muhammad, your thoughts? <laughs> so just, just so that I can also come in with a little bit of a joke. We always, well, I was, I, I came across this very early in my career. The good Lord giveth and the fine print taketh away. How often <laughs> we find, how often we find that today that we have to read if you open up, if you put a new application on your phone, if you put some new software, I think if you have to read the terms and conditions, it would probably take a two or three solid hours just to read the terms and conditions. Whoever reads the terms and conditions, if we have to do a survey about the very software that you have on your laptop, I think 100% of us don't know the terms and conditions because it's too long and it's too cumbersome. And a lot of people are not familiar with legal terms. There's actually a term in Latin that we learned in university, it says caveat emto. It means let the buyer beware. If you're going to purchase something, you need to be fully aware of what is it that you are purchasing. But at the same time, Islam teaches us that as a seller of a product, we need to bring it to the buyer's attention what the defects are in the product. So yes, the law has been reformulated, reworked in an effort to make the consumer uh, to allow the consumer more rights. So we have now the Consumer Protection Act and there's a court that's purposely been established to protect the consumer. And the consumer also has, in terms of those rights, a right to return the product under certain terms and conditions within a period of five days. So if you purchase a product uh, on credit or on uh, somebody, a cold canvas call and somebody phones you and they say, we've got this excellent product, it's beautiful cell phone and they describe it to you and you purchase it. Within five days, you see, feel that the product did not meet your requirements. You have a right. So yes, the law has established itself because of the errant sellers, errant parties that we found in the past. Similarly with homes and houses, now you have what's called a defect list and the seller is by law required to complete a defect list because he's been living in the property and he knows the property. The poor buyer may go through a property and only spend half an hour going through the home, in which case he's not even going to begin to look at the defects because it's not even sufficient time. He probably needs to live in a home for a few days before he realizes, oh, it's starting to rain, here's a leak. Oh, look at this uh, this wall, it's cracking. It was behind a picture frame and I never got to see it. So 
the law requires this from the parties, from the seller more especially, to disclose and declare what he has sold. And if a buyer feels that he has been cheated, misled, misrepresented about a particular product, there is legal recourse that is available to him to establish. But it's always great and good business sense to examine your product properly, to understand and do your homework. Read reviews today. One advantage that we have on the internet is that before we purchase a product, if we want to come to a particular hotel and we it all the pictures always tend to project uh, the best images uh, about this hotel or product, it's always good to go to the reviews and get an understanding from people that live there. So any product that you are buying, any service that you use, you find that with Google especially, there's reviews by people who use the product. And of course, that would now assist you. And I've used this many times and I've found that it's given me a good insight into the type of product, the pros and the cons of the product. And um, and, 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 and I think that's great. So going back to from an Islamic perspective, whether the laws are in place or the laws are not in place, we have an obligation to make sure that the product meets the buyer's anticipated requirements. That the buyer, when purchasing a car, will have reliance on that car to say, this car is what I am paying for. And the seller did tell me that the engine would need an overhaul in six months' time or this major expense is going to come. Yes, then the buyer is fully aware. You're not buying, most of the time, you're not buying a brand new product. So the, uh, the product is going to come with deficiencies and defects. And this is where sellers need to become more responsible religiously and say to themselves, am I really going to be selling this product knowing there's a huge defect in this product, knowing that the buyer who takes it in a few months' time is going to be totally disappointed or the product's going to be totally wrecked, irreparable, that type of situation. I think Allah will, will, will be pleased if a person does things according to Islamic principles and even if you don't make that sale, even if you're now unable to sell the product because there's a huge defect in that product, know that the defect in this is actually barakah and Allah will replace it with something better. That is the nature of how our thinking should be. So we're struggling to sell a car because it's making a huge noise and we, we know it's going to cost a potential purchase a lot of money. Think about it from an Islamic perspective and say, if this product is to be sold, then it needs to be sold correctly. So the buyer knows that my seller is a Muslim and that he will not cheat me and that the product he has pointed out as best as he can, all the deficiencies, all the defects in that product. And so, 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 so going back to your original question, people don't read the fine print. I myself, I'm in the legal business for many years. I, 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 I understand that there is a notion amongst people that they trust me when they are signing documents to be candid and honest with them. So, yes, I also bring it to their attention that this document that you are signing may be 10 pages long, uh, but you need to be aware of the following provisions and clauses. If you breach this, then this, these are the consequences. This is the damages that you will need to pay to remedy the situation. So people respect you for that, you know, irrespective of who it is, is if the per person is your client, is not your client, I think that's the right thing to do because by nature, people generally don't read and reading fine print is even harder and reading legal jargon is even more harder. And today, you know, how many contracts are drawn up where it would take a legal professor some time to be able to go through these contracts. And I think, you know, uh, we, we should 
as Muslim lawyers also uh, try to make things easier for people to understand and for them to, you know, when they sign it, they are fully aware of the terms and conditions and bring it to their attention so it doesn't appear that there's a misunderstanding after that. Yeah, Muhammad, you know, then you think about the individuals uh, that, uh, you know, some of them come with a mitigating factor, you know, I didn't read the fine print, and uh, you're dealing with that individual, that's his company, and, uh, you know, he said, no, but we stipulated that, uh, read the fine print, and this is that. Uh, but then you find that individual or the owner of a company who sometimes they're very sympathetic uh, to individuals, and especially when he notices uh, that the client uh, that has been dealt with is a senior citizen. Uh, does that, you know, uh, factors like that play a, a, a role in any in individual or uh, owner uh, or someone, you know, that he's been begged upon giving uh, the client a break, uh, Muhammad? I think it's from an Islamic principle that it's always good to give, you know, we know that if the debtor is struggling to pay the debt, find an opportunity to give him a little bit more time because this is what Islam promotes. Islam promotes having that uh, uh, mercy, level of mercy towards a debtor, towards somebody that owes, has an obligation towards you and someone that you have rights over. So without a doubt, you know, where necessary, it's also great from an Islamic perspective, from a Dawah perspective, to show a level of mercy, even in a contract. You know, you tell a person, I told you that there's a defect in this car, you offered to buy it from me, but if you are having a problem, then can we work out something where I can compensate you now for that or you can return the vehicle and we can I can give you back at least most of your money. Some of those types, measures of mercy, bode well for us as Muslims. Remember at the end of the day, Allah gives us and Allah takes away from us. If he gives you the opportunity to make some money from your product, alhamdulillah, and sometimes he takes that money away from you in a sense that you don't sell the product. So we say that alhamdulillah because Allah is now this is the, the mechanism by which Allah works, is that he gives some people and he takes away from some people. So we take it in its stride. Everything belongs to Allah. All the heavens and the earth and whatever is contained in it belongs to Allah. We are just trustees for everything. If we have that attitude, then we can ob we, obviously our hearts will melt when we see somebody in distress. And especially today when we have so much, that even if somebody comes back to you and he says, you know, this car that I paid for 50,000 Rand from you is not exactly what I anticipated. If you have to give him the 50,000 Rand back, it's not going to be the end of the world in terms of our finances. Some of us have rich uncles and they <laughs> would make it easy for us in, <laughs> if in our difficulties. Uh, and as a result of which Allah has given us and Allah will open up another door if that doesn't materialize because of the nature of who we are. So have that yakin and tawakkul in Allah, that Allah doesn't matter. My dawah came first. I may have lost a few rands in the transaction, but you know what? I showed him as a Muslim, Islam has a very perfect way of life. And in the early years, when the Sahaba were around, when we listened to the stories of how merciful, what great tradesmen they have, how many people then embraced Islam. Look at Malaysia, Indonesia, India, how many parts of the world that was previously non-Muslim embraced Islam because of the business etiquettes and ethics of our Sahaba and the, those that came in a few generations after it. So yes, think about it from that perspective, that we have so much to offer. It's not just the product, it's our akhlaq, our good character that we are selling at the same time in an effort to show a person that 
our Lord, our Maker has taught us how to be better human beings, and this is how we'd like to conduct our business affairs. I tell you, Hafez uh, Muhammad, the attorney Muhammad Kubadia, you're sounding like a five-star, you know what, presenter on air. You're sounding brilliant this evening, that good heart and the good thoughts. I think about divine decree coming to the fore. And uh, that's what, I mean, I knew of uh, one individual that came up. A lot of people come up to me and complain. I'd rather send them to you. So they told me, you know what? Hey, but Uncle Chef, man, I got an uncle. I said, yeah. He said, I've been his tenants for the past five years. And the last year, you know, when it came to COVID and so forth, and I went arrears in rent and I told uncle, you know, take it easy on me. When I get My uncle sent me a vicious lawyer's letter and he got my equipment attached and he had it all auctioned. I mean, how can that happen? You know, and he happened to be a Muslim uh, 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 Muhammad, uh, what you what what you would have done in that case? I mean, it was like shocking. You said that's my that's my mother's brother that did that to me. My uncle, you know the way he said, and I didn't know what to tell him because you know sometimes they tell me you know make a plan. Then I always tell them, no man, go to the Bufti or go to the Jamaatul Ulama. You know that's the best way because the Alims can do it better than us, uh, Muhammad. Gee. So I must tell you something from a personal perspective. Whenever I get to sit with the person. And I ask, and I see especially that it involves spouses, immediate families, even extended families. I asked the question to my client. I said, do you know what the cost of this letter is going to be? So they said, you may charge us 500 rand or 1,000 rand for the letter. I said, that's partially correct, but it's not the full extent of the cost. So they're looking at me and say, the full cost is that you are now going to sever relationships with your family members by sending out this letter. So he takes a step back and he thinks to himself, but what is this attorney talking about? I said, I'll send him this letter and we could be extremely vicious in this letter. We could establish all your rights in this letter and make it known that we're going to leave this person without his pants. But think of the consequences. How would you like to receive a letter from a family member, a brother, uncle, a cousin saying that, you know, this is the way he's talking to us. It's not a stranger. Talking to a stranger is, you know, would, would be at a different level. But when you talk to family members, how important isn't it for us to maintain family relationships? This is this is a commandment in the Quran that we need to establish our family relationships. relationships. And at the end of the day, we are going to be together in Jannah. We want to have, we want to sit and laugh and say, you know, we were tested with this particular fitna. We had this in front of us. And Alhamdulillah, I passed and you passed. I gave you extra time. I said, don't worry about the debt. Doesn't charity begin at home? Isn't it necessary for us to first discharge our zakat amongst our family members, extended family members? That same person that we are putting so much pressure on is a person who could turn around the situation and say, you know what? Here's some zakat, use it and better yourself. Your family is my family. At the end of the day, I can't put them out in the street. I might as well put my own family out in the street. And a lot of people, you know, they, their hearts change when you talk to them at that level. And if they don't take my advice, I do tell them, maybe I, I'm not the right person to continue this matter for you. Please see this, the, if there's another attorney who has it within himself to, uh, to get into this type of of, of situation, but I must also say there's also a recommendation to resolve the problem. I say Islam teaches us that why don't we sit together? Let's get a mufti, let's get an alim in the meeting, and I'm prepared to come in in this meeting. And sometimes I do it free of charge because it's part of the community service that Allah has allowed us to do. People respect us for our legal knowledge 
and we could use this in a way that makes people understand what it is all about. So when we sit together with an alim and we try to sift through the evidence, sift through the discussions, we are able to find some sort of a solution. And is that not a million times better than entering into litigation where if you receive a summons from your uncle, it doesn't affect Shafat. It affects, affects Shafat's wife and the children. They're not going to sleep at night. 47 paid summons from my uncle and we thought on an E day he laughs at us, Eja laughs with us, he jokes with us, he gives us ED and now this the big fat summons in the high court of South Africa. I'm going to need 50,000 rand to walk in, into any lawyer's office. The children are in Sakran. They are not sleeping at night thinking to themselves, what a terrible family we have. Today we are down and the people are kicking us when we are down. And then you know, uh, so 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 the reality of the situation, there are solutions, Islamic solutions. Even at the end of the day, I tell my I tell my friends, I tell my clients, even at the end of the day, if you write it off, Allah will replace you with something better. If you give the people more time, Allah will reward you for it. All these things at the end of the day are dunya things, and this is a test. How are you going to react? React. Are you going to go to a kuffar court? Are you going to plead your case in front of somebody that doesn't understand Islamic dynamics? They only live for the dunya. The, the kafir, he's only there to try to grab what he can in this world because according to him, this is the be-all and end-all of his tenantship on, on, on earth. And uh, we have a better understanding that if we have a level of mercy and love and respect, for our fellow, fellow human beings, Allah will give, increase our darajah, will give us a chance in case one day we run into the same situation. And uh, I think a Muslim lawyer needs to be head and shoulders above his peers in the sense that he should look and put things into perspective and look at things from an Islamic perspective. You know, I'm uh, truly grateful to call you my, uh, my brother and, uh, you know, a colleague in broadcasting and also a colleague in Dawa. But with such a beautiful mannerism in, you know, calling on the empathy, the sympathy and the human being, you know, the quality of mercy is not strange. It follows from heaven like a drop of rain. And you make sure that you are, you know what, you are really fertilizing our minds with good thoughts there, Muhammad. Allah bless you now and forever. And you deserve the title of Hafizab also. Well, you know, when we look at uh, the different types of uh, thing, but, you know, when you talk about fine print, I heard the other day one guy, you know, he's, uh, he's a good friend of mine. I'll mention his name, Ismail uh, Salaji. He's Hafiz Ismail Salaji. And he said, hey, you know, chef, when you talk about fine print, and if you don't do it properly, it can cost you your soul. I was amazed at the way he said it. It'll cost you your soul. In other words, it's going to cost you your entire, like whatever you had. It can just go poof, gone, uh, Mohammed. Gee, so I've also got a good friend. And uh, he's described in the Bible as Jesus. He says in the Bible, what does it benefit a man that he gains the world but loses his soul? So the reality of the situation is that sometimes we're able to achieve our objectives in this dunya at the expense of our akhirah. Sometimes Allah puts us in these particular tests to say, I'm going to give you this or I'm going to take this away from you. How are you going to react? And if we become vicious and if we become animalistic and if we become un-Islamic in our approach, then we fail the test irrespective of what the test is about. I've seen so many situations where Allah puts things in front of people, puts wealth in front of a person, 
but this person reaches out to grab it and he can't touch it. I would give you scenarios where families have acquired huge amounts of wealth, but for some reason or the other, they've lost it in an instant. So I say to myself, Allah has tested this family with this type of situation. How are they going to react? How are they going to then respond to the person? But we know at the end of the day that the true justice is only in the Akhirah. What we see in this world is limited justice. Sometimes we know a judge, we know a good advocate, we know you know a few people, and we're able to get away and oppress the other person in establishing our justice. We know a few lawyers who are very tactful, they're very skillful, they charge your arm and a leg, but they'll get you out of the debt. The debt in this world, if you haven't discharged it in this world, you're still going to be responsible in the year after. So that consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our business, in our lifestyles, in our lives, it needs to be manifest. It needs to be overarching. We cannot be Muslims only when we go into the masjid. And then in the masjid, we supplying the whole masjid with kajur and zamzam water every Ramadan and costs us hundreds of thousands of rands. But outside the masjid, we've got no mercy for the other Muslims or the non-Muslims in the community. If we put things into perspective, Allah gives us and sees what is it that we are able to do with what he has given us? And what do we take at the end of the day? So we're not going to get that million rand back which this person stole from us, usurped from us, no matter what the situation is, but it's still going to be a day of Kiamat and everything is going to come through. And sometimes I heard from uh, from one of the speakers, sometimes you wished that more people never paid you so that on that day when you are looking for hasanat and good deeds, then you are able hmm. to then go and tap that person on the shoulder and say, you remember that million rand you stole from me? Now it's time that you're going to pay. And of course, the currency of the akhirat is not the rands and cents that we are hankering after today. Hey, Muhammad, why are you making me so happy? Yeah, I gave a lot of those bucks. Is this or that or that guy took from. <laughs> when I look at them, I mean, sometimes you lend people and they do as if, you know, oh, it's okay. Uh, they'll come back a few months later, you give them. But I'm just like you, Muhammad. I give them and I say, in my mind, I say, you know what, I don't expect them to pay me back. Inshallah, you know what, Garib Che, I'm Garib Che too. In Allah's court, we all Garib, and Allah will reward us for that. So, Alhamdulillah, sometimes, you know, it's a, sometimes it's a gift from Allah when someone comes and asks you. And the very fact that someone came and asked you, you don't chase them away, Muhammad. I'm sure you're the type of guy to, what little we have, we just put it in the hand. Or sometimes, you know, if they ask you maybe for a grand and you give them 10 grands, or they ask you for 500, you say, take a thousand, Inshallah. When you're in the, uh, in, in the position, you pay me. Muhammad, I know you. Hey, you're a big giver, Muhammad. <laughs> no, 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 Allah knows exactly what the condition or what I am is. But I'll tell you something in Dawah. Whenever we, we have these reverts that come to Islam, that start off, there's a lot of financial uh, uh, burdens, financial responsibilities that comes together with being a Muslim. So, for example, a person embraces Islam. I know for a fact that the meat probably at home is not halal meat, and I'd like to encourage him to buy halal meat. So I'll tell him about halal, but I'm not offering him any assistance. So how is the poor person? He's going to go home. He's going to look at the chicken. He's going to say to himself, I can't throw this chicken away. If I throw this chicken away, there's nothing left for my family to eat. So Mulana said I must, I must only eat halal meat, but now I'm faced in this quandary. What do I do with this chicken? Think of it from that perspective. This is the only meal and dish that he has at home. And he's going to go hungry and the family's going to go hungry. So that situation now to even consider it. Another thing that we have to consider is we bring people into the fold of Islam. 
these poor people assume that when they come to the masjid, they must dress as if it's Sunday because when they go to when they used to go to church on Sunday, they used to wear their best clothes. This poor person that you now have brought into Islam, his clothes are tattered. Maybe he's got one decent set of clothes, but now he's going to wear that on Friday. On Saturday, you're not going to see him in the masjid. So you're going to call him, you're going to say, my brother, I didn't see you in the masjid today. And I had this response, I didn't have clean clothes. So I say, what do you mean? He says, no, you know, uh, I wore my good clothes yesterday and today I didn't have clean clothes. Because unfortunately, these people, they don't have the finances and their mentality is such that they believe that if it's if they soil on it or there's something that is clothes are napak, that's not the definition of napak. Napak is established by nudges, something like urine or something like stool or something, not by sand, not by dust, not by uh, you know, so, but unfortunately, how do you have that discussion? So, if you have a few rands in your pocket, you're able to tell the brother, you know what, why don't you go buy yourself some nice clothes so that you can come regularly to the masjid? And as he starts coming to the masjid and frequenting the masjid, he begins to understand and realize that I don't need to wear my best clothes every day. Uh, like I used to do for church. I don't have to wear my best shoes and my best hat. And my, even if I come in my condition, as long as it's decent attire. And uh, our Muslim Muslims need to learn sometimes that our Malawi brothers will come into the masjid and maybe they smell a little bit. But think about things from their perspective. They don't have showers. They don't have running waters. They're trying to bath out of a bucket. They're bathing four o'clock in the morning. He's doing hard labor before he came to that masjid. Naturally, Allah has put it in his human nature, in his DNA, that he's going to smell when he does hot, uh, hard work under the hot sun. Let's be considerate of these types of things. Let's not insult them. Let's not look down upon these people. Let's find a way. Let's build showers in our masjids. So when people come in there, they could take a shower in the masjid. We waste so much money making, making uh, with, uh, with our wudu and our water for everything else. Today, when you go in the masjid, the first thing you hear is, shh, those steps are running. And on average, it could take a person between 5 and 10 liters of water to make wudu. We know the sunnah is not even a quarter liter. 300 mils would be considered to be the sunnah for wudu. Yet you're taking 5 and 10 liters just to make one wudu. And the water runs. And then when these poor brothers don't have enough water for bathing, they think to themselves, but what's wrong with our with my Muslim brothers in this part of the world? Why can't they assist us with a few basic basic, uh, basic essentials? Uh, give us a little bit of money for some soap. Maybe we can find an opportunity. If they had, everybody's got a level of human dignity and respect. Nobody ever wants to be smelling when he comes out of his work situation. He wants to bath and go home in a nice, fresh, clean condition. But how much of these things are we considerate about? We have our black Muslims. We know when they come to the masjid, sometimes their attire is not the best. Sometimes the smell is not the best. Let's buy a few bottles of attar, put it there in the masjid, give it out to these brothers and say, you know what, take this, this is my gift to you. At least you put that, you'll feel good. I've never had somebody turn me down when I said, here's a bottle of attar. I kept one specially for you today and I want you to have it. He doesn't take that as an insult because he knows that Muslims, whether you're smelling or you're not smelling, you wear attar. That's part of the Islamic teachings and the sunnah of the Wisdom. But we need to be one step ahead. So we're going to have a few rands in our pocket. We need to be charitable with that rands. We need to think about things from different perspectives to, 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 to allow people to appreciate the value of Islam fully. We need to be more considerate about how we look down and how we look at people.
No, absolutely, Muhammad, and uh, Jazakallah Khaira for sharing that. And uh, perhaps, uh, you know, many are listening and uh, getting a lot of tips and a lot of uh, motivation uh, from you this evening. And, you know, getting back to our topic about uh, reading the fine print, and uh, since the, uh, you know, advent of uh, the uh, multi or the apps and so forth, and now everything, people look at the computer, and uh, when you're reading your text in the form of uh, the email, and, you know, even people are signing uh, on the email or on the on the apps and the thing is going through, um, you know, it makes it perhaps it makes it easier now when you're reading via email. You can even blow up the tiny print into, you know, the size you want to read it, uh, Muhammad. And how much uh, convenient is that uh, reading all your your contracts on your email by blowing up uh, the thing? I mean, take, taking the time. Shafat, at your age, uh, everything is fine print. Even if it was in bold, it'll still be fine print because... No, no, no. You, uh, you'll be amazed. You'll be, you'll be amazed. <laughs> Don't come living, defend I'm yourself. Li- no, defend. You in that age in now... The, uh, no, now blow I'm living in the up. ocean. I got greenery. I got that. But I be, I've been... <laughs> you know what? I went for bifocals. You're listening. I went yeah. for bifocals. I, I, and um, the, the wife insisted I get it. So I went and got it. Muhammad, I don't use it because hey, I find it so inconvenient. But you are right. I need the reading glasses. I needed the reading glasses when I th- uh, I think I turned 35. And I was so stubborn, I never I never put it on. And, you know, when I, I imagine I'm on air and I should look at the writing. It was blurry. And I should battle to read. Anyway, you you got a point. I'm not uh, so going for any mitigation. A personal anecdote at some level of inspiration to our listeners out there. It's always good to throw in an anecdote. I think people relate to anecdotes. So I was the first time I drank Zamzam water. Uh, In the early years, I used to wear glasses. Alhamdulillah. First time I drank Zamzam water, I was told by the person, Zamzam water is shifa for whatever ailment you have, whatever you want in your life, uh, from a physical aspect as well, your health and whatever, Drink, make the dua and drink the zamzam water. So I looked at the zamzam water and I thought to myself, what would be the best dua that I can make? So I made a dua that Allah, I, I, I find these, these spectacles that I'm wearing, glasses, like we say, to be extremely inconvenient. You know, when you wake up for Fajr, you can't see the time until you put your glasses on or you're going out with the guys, you're going fishing or you're going camping or you're doing something of an outdoor nature. You need to be careful. You go to Mina for a few days. You need to be careful where you put your glasses because somebody may walk over your glasses and then you're in big trouble. So I thought to myself, mm. you know, this is this is a, a, a huge thing for me, you know, uh, that I I'd, I'd like to be relieved of this um, glasses issue, and um, I made the dua and forgot about it, you know, not even thinking that one day Allah can would would be able to do certain things, and we know that Allah is capable of doing these things, but we forgot about the dua, and many years later, the opportunity availed itself. When um, I was able to, now they came up with this laser thing, you know, it could have been 20 years later, uh, uh, the doctors were now talking, optometrists were now talking that you can come and have, go for, come for a test and there's a possibility that you could actually get full vision again and you wouldn't have to wear these glasses anymore. And I went for the test and as I'm doing the test, I thought of this dua and I thought to myself, wow, is this now a manifestation of the dua 20 years ago? that um, we are able to do this. And alhamdulillah, we went for this test. And the doctor said, you know, you you in your 30s, maybe this thing could last you for 10 years, maybe 20 years. But after that, you're going to need bifocals and you're going to need, you know, you're going to have to come back to the situation. Not as bad as maybe you are now currently, but you remember that this is just a, such a solution for many, for a few years. But alhamdulillah, 20 years have gone by and I'm still able to read the fine print 
And I'm still a speed reader. I think most attorneys become speed readers because we need to be reading documents very quickly. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah once again. So yes, from a personal anecdote, it's just a reminder that we should never lose hope in Allah's mercy, in Allah's forgiveness, in Allah's capacity to able to change our lives in many ways. And I, in my wildest dreams, would not have imagined that the relief would have come in this manner. But of course, Allah had decreed for us that the dua will be accepted at that particular stage. So yes, I, I admit I, I skipped out of your question about the fine print. So maybe I can go back to the fine print and we can just talk <laughs> about it. Without a doubt, yes, once you sign a document, and today we have electronic signatures, today we press OK, and it means that we have accepted the terms and conditions. Sometimes you put a tick. Nowadays you have electronic signatures also available when you go into the bank and they tell you sign here in some of these corporate places you sign here. These are legal um, modes of acceptance of the terms and conditions. So we have to, once we sign something, we're accepting the terms and conditions and nobody wants to get involved with corporates. So you find sometimes you're involved with a bank or a financial institution or a, a, a corporate and you're not able to meet your responsibility. Maybe you're providing a service to a huge company. They don't always have the type of mercy that you'd have get from an individual because they have you know, very stringent conditions and they like things to be done in a particular manner in a particular fashion. So when, when we deal in these types of things, be careful, seek the services of an attorney when you are not uh, uh, when you are not confident about what you are signing, seek also maybe uh, uh, refer this to somebody who knows or tell them I'd like to have some time just to go through it and, and, and go through some of the salient and important terms and conditions. So in terms of the Consumer Protection Act, there's actually a provision that says that some of the more onerous terms in agreement should be initialed next to it. That initialing signifies that you've read it. So, for example, there's a clause that says, should you not meet the terms and conditions, you are liable to be sued for damages in the sound of one million rand. They want you to initial next to it because if you initial next to it, by, by, by extension, you confirm that especially this particular provision. So the initial at the bottom is one thing that you'll do. But this provision, because it's so onerous, you are actually confirming. And when you go to court, the judge will ask you, is this your signature next to this provision? And, of course, you have to admit it. And that, that could count against you because the judge really doesn't have the... The, the, the opportunity to grant any reprieve. He works by what is in front of him. And of course, he needs to establish the law and he then would give against you an order against you. So yes, without a doubt, be careful of what you sign. Blow it up. Let, if you can't read it properly, blow it up. Give it to somebody to read it out to you so that you can understand what it is. And maybe the interpretation of a third party or the person that you're signing with is valuable to say, what does this mean? Can you please explain it to me? They have an obligation to explain it to you. And uh, hopefully that would now uh, be some sort of uh, embitterment towards just signing documents blindly. But the vast majority of people still do it as much as the message can get out. I think uh, people have a culture of not wanting to read 20 and 30 page documents. Everybody's in a hurry today. So that's unfortunate. I see it in my own business when you know when you when you prepare documents for a person to sign sale or offer and you present it to them, they trust us. They tell you, Moment, I'm, I'm signing this document, I'm trusting you. So I do then go through the terms and conditions, especially the more onerous ones, just to bring it to their attention so that tomorrow if there is something that we have to uh, discuss or we revisit, we know that we've had this particular discussion.
Jazakallah for that, uh, Muhammad. Uh, you know, you alluded to the fact uh, that we live in this uh, hyper-digital world, where, you know, where all our uh, information, Muhammad, and uh, data is uh, shared online. And, you know, and we have to ensure that the uh, companies, uh, uh, companies, I think, they take extra precaution, you know, to protect against cybercrime and all these uh, uh, delinquents that are getting behind and, you know, t- uh, taking people's vital information and uh, doing uh, uh, funny things. But even uh, something as simple as the terms of, uh, you know, terms of service, Mohammed, I think you'll call it TOS when uh, updating a mobile app or, you know, a software program on your, our computer or on a phone. I mean, and so many people just do that, and sometimes there's a cost factor to it. But, you know, they allow you, they say, one month free. And when that one month is over, uh, the first of the next month, you're getting a bill. I mean, how do you protect against that, uh, Mohammed? And how do you conscientize those people that just like pressing yes, 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 okay, okay, okay? How do you advise them, Mohammed? Today, even if you buy a plane ticket, you know, you bought the ticket, you see a thousand rand, then over above that is baggage insurance, then you are priority service, then you, you know, so, but you, at the time you look at the bill at the bottom, the thousand rand ticket turned into a two thousand rand ticket because there was things that just got chucked in afterwards and you have to then go back and uh, you know, untick, uncheck these boxes so that you can get to the price that you wanted to pay originally. Yes, without a doubt, it's part of the uh, corporate culture to throw things at you. Today, you know, I remember for, for many years, people struggled, especially with these SMSs that were um, charging people 10 rand and 20 rand and 50 rand a month for some service that they were offering. And it became a huge problem amongst consumers that people were just accepting and not realizing that, you know what, I'm not going to see the bill this month, but three months later, I'm going to get a bill for 500 rand. And then every month thereafter, 100 rand after that, it is, it is a huge problem. And uh, uh, once again, you know, as much as we are in a hurry with our lives and things are uh, supposed to be less complicating, we're finding that there is uh, these types of tricks that uh, corporates and companies do use. People, of course, scamming you would come with a whole of, lot of, you know, uh, 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 would come with all these tricks that uh, where unwary people become victims of. I've seen, you know, people lose hundreds of thousands of rent. Because of email scams, a, a company gets an email saying that we have changed our bank account details on the proper letter. They even give you the bank confirmation from their bank saying this is the new account number and whatever letters and proof of account and all that. And these people go on to pay it and they lost hundreds of thousands of rands. I've had a client that she was she got a call and she assumed it's from the bank and they said, no, there's a debit charge. You need to log into your profile. And as she logged in, they were on the other hand, they were also receiving the information. And then they asked her, what's the PIN number? And she said, one, two, three, four. And they punched it in. And before they, uh, she knew it, they stole um, huge amount of money from her credit card account. And we get these things. So the banks are not unconscious. They're not unaware of what is happening in the industry. So they've created certain mechanisms now that you could actually go into your accounts and see what is this debit, why is this debit. Then it's followed up by an SMS to say somebody has purchased 20,000 rand from your credit card. If you're unaware of it, you can phone. So these types of checks, and we need to then follow up with these types of things. And of course, you know, Banks, it just depends sometimes. Sometimes banks are there to assist us and you find that they're doing a good job. They reverse the transaction. They help you track your money and maybe even uh, assist you in prosecuting the criminal. And then also now there's a new mechanism in place where they call debit check. 
that you have to authorize a debit order off your account before the bank processes it and, and these mechanisms are in place. But yes, at the end of the day, they're just providing a service. It's up to you as the consumer to manage your finances, to manage that you're not getting trapped. And, and I like sometimes that the bank phones you and they say you issued this check well, early as they used to do it, or this payment went through on your credit card. Is this okay? Can we, you know, can you confirm this details through to us and you tell them about the transaction and then they process it? I like that. I feel that, you know, these are security systems in place that the banks, financial institutions want to provo- prevent um, hacking and theft and credit card fraud and all these things. So, yes, a mechanism and mechanism in place, but we should take full precautionary measures when doing business, especially for the first time, buying an online product, buying some of these things online, you think you're paying just a once-off fee for a particular program, a software, then you don't you don't you don't you don't realize a few months down the line there's a debit order that's been in place and they're charging you. That was only the first premium. Now there's multiple premiums after that. Or as long as you have the product and you can't cancel it for two or three years, but if somebody is in that problem. My best advice to him is seek legal advice in terms of the Consumer Protection Act. They are there to assist you. If you are unaware, they could even um, reverse the transaction and make sure that you get your money back. That's well and good in a South African environment. Today we are buying things overseas. We expected an expense of 20,000 rand cell phone. We get the box at the door and it's some China make for 2,000 rand. How do we deal with somebody that's provided a service overseas? I'm still very cautious about buying things online and putting my details out there on, a, on an online basis. But I notice amongst the youth, they are buying every day. They're importing and buying things from overseas. So, uh, yes, it's a different generation. It's different times. And um, maybe, you know, things are going to change in the future. I'm 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 very much like you, yeah. I don't want to put everything online and bring that sixty second, eighty second thing, I, or eighty minutes of land. I don't do that. I rather go and see that thing physically. Uh, but you know, recent surveys are conducted, uh, Mohammed, found that uh, around ninety one percent of consumers accept uh, legal terms and conditions without actually reading them. With the younger consumers aged between 18 and 34, this number is even higher, with 97% agreeing before actually, you know, reading. So why even hassle having the fine print, (laughs) Mohammed? What's your thoughts? (laughs) You know, let me also come in with a small pun. So 62% of statistics are actually made up and not verified statistics and even that which i told you <laughs> now is unverified yeah. and <laughs> yeah, that's unverified. also something you can't uh, I mean, rely on but no, no, without a doubt, point yeah, they, they, they interview 500 people and they uh, get your uh, uh, statistics actually yeah so, you're absolutely right go ahead so ask these statisticians and they'll tell you how many flaws but to be honest with you i in 30 years of being in this business i see it very irregularly when people actually take a document and go through it or ask me to email it to them so that they can go through everything, or even after they sign it, to say, please email me this document, I'd like to see it, or take the document home, go through it, phone me up two days later and say, you know what, I never understood what this provision is about, can you please explain? By and large, there's that element of trust that our people do have, and you know, as much as you know, we do have good lawyers, you also have Bad lawyers out there. We have lawyers who are just out there to make sure that their customer um, or, or their, their client actually gets the best end of the deal and they don't go through these uh, processes. So, yes, 
I think there is, I know, and I, and I can't overemphasize, there is a culture in our community not to read. A, 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 a small agreement of sale to purchase a house is 10 pages long. To purchase a car is probably about four pages long. But it would take you at least half an hour to an hour to read through these documents. There's at least a dozen terms in that document that you're not going to be familiar with. And how many people actually ask me? But um, I think, you know, it's important that as attorneys, we are able to change that culture as best as we can, or at least reduce the amount of risk that we're placing this person with. Even if this person is not our client, make him known, make make it known to him that, you know, you're a tenant now, and the rules require that you don't have loud music, that you don't have dogs, that you don't have this, you don't have that. Please read this and understand it. So when you sign it now, you are able to fulfill and meet your obligations in terms of the agreement. Mohammed, great evening in your company. I don't know, I'm feeling like, you know, having you here was therapeutic. The information that you gave was wholesome. Uh, no, uh, no sugar-coated pill this evening. You called a spade a spade. Your parting words are before we let you go. Shafat, I'm actually, you know, um, I don't know how to say this in, in, in a nice way. You're always uh, uh, making me feel good feel welcome on your show <laughs> but you never offered me a slot you never say moment you know uh Marcus Saba wants you to be, have your own show because the listeners out there are screaming out for you so i i don't know um how i should react all that i can say for now is jazakallah once again for giving me this opportunity every couple of weeks i'm truly honored to be a guest on your show i'm great to have you as a friend as a colleague as a fellow dai as my muslim brother at so many levels i feel so comfortable having this discussion to prepare for the show i myself need to prepare myself in a few ways i i need to go back i need to look at some of the verses or hadith we need to look at some of the laws so that we are able to share some of this information on a professional level and uh, uh, it's it's always been for me an educational journey being with you. I think I I don't know how many years we're doing this together, but Allah keep us together, keep us uh, uh, as an opportunity for people to benefit from the show. And that of course we know that we have many loyal listeners out there who look forward to our discussions because we have a general discussion at the same time. We talk about dawah, we talk about politics, we talk about legal, and in an hour we try to squeeze in as much as we can. So once again. Jazakallah khair and thank you to your listeners for being with us for this last hour and uh, have a blessed evening inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Muhammad, Hafiz Muhammad, the Kobani, our attorney, he's actually, he's got his own show here yeah, on Legal Talk. He's here every second, uh, yeah, every fortnight. It's his show. <laughs> so Alhamdulillah, whatever, but really a pleasure having him really makes it uh, uh, beautiful for all of us uh, to have him there, to listen to him, and a very wholesome individual indeed. Time for us to go for the Isha Azan, and inshallah we will continue after that. <laughs>